All right. Good morning. Good afternoon. Whatever you call it here in uh, Abilene, Texas, that's what time it is. So it's good to be with you. I'm so glad that I got the invitation uh, to come be with you. I do stand behind this. I don't know what I was doing up there. Um, but I am glad to be with you. And um, I've known Chris for a, a little while. I've got the utmost respect for your ministry team here. Um, you're very blessed. I, I hope that you know that. I hope that you let them know that. Um, and I tell you, I've, I've heard a lot about this congregation. And I want you to know you're a beacon of hope for not just this community, but this whole area. And, and really, um, as a body of believers, as a body of believers, we, we look to one another. And so I appreciate you. And that's what I want. If you don't get anything else about what I say today, um, that's okay. I got a lot of people that sleep during my lessons. If you need a nap, just go ahead. But um, if you don't get anything else from what I say today, don't give up. Don't give up. Whatever good work you're doing, no matter how much love you're showing to your community, to your people, to your family, to your kids, to your spouse, don't give up because God will reward your, your diligence. God will reward your faithfulness. Okay? And so don't give up because there's a lot of people in our world that are hurting. They need Christ. They need Jesus in their lives. They need you to show Christ to them. And so if you don't get anything else, get that. Don't give up. Okay? Don't give up. It's good to be with you, and I'm so honored to be here today. Can you imagine a group of people, a group of people that move together in all regards? Think about that for a minute. That move together in all regards. One body led by one spirit, driven by one hope, having one faith, buried into one baptism, surrendering to one Lord, glorifying one God. Can you imagine that? Can you see that? I mean, in our world, in this church, the church over, can, can we, do we see that? And here's, here's something else. Are you pursuing that? Because as you go through Ephesians chapter 4, that's what Paul is saying there in Ephesians chapter 4, is this is what God has done through Jesus Christ. This is what God is working in our lives as His people, His kingdom, His church, a people who are brought into oneness, growing into the image of Christ to show the glory and the grace of God. A priesthood, go-betweeners, mediators between himself and the world so the world can see him and his will for their lives. Everything that God has done has been to connect us to him and draw us into one another, draw us into oneness. That's what God desires in his church. But in our brokenness at times, and you know this, I'm not telling you things, at times we're imperfect in fostering this oneness. At times we fail in that aspect of oneness. Sometimes the church doesn't move as it should or the kingdom doesn't grow as it should because we forget this truth. But when the body of Christ buys into it, it's beautiful. And it draws the world to Christ, to God. And today we're going to look at this aspect. And I love the thought of the summer series and what it does in drawing our hearts and minds into the aspect of oneness. Because when you realize how important it is that we, that we are unified, that we are one and moving as one. And so today we're going to look at faith's role in this aspect of oneness and the power of one faith. You know, faith, it's, it's such a cool word. I don't know if you use cool down here. Uh, we really don't. And it's altus, okay? Some people say altus. That's fine. That's, that's like an English way to say it. Altus, just hit, draw it out, and you got it, okay? Altus. Um, but um, faith, it's, it is a cool word. It's such a cool concept. But sometimes it's a difficult action. And we need to realize that faith, it is, it's, it's action. 
It's action. Many times our minds view of faith as a belief system or the aspect of I believe in the existence of God. And, and many times because we believe that God exists, that that's what faith is all about. But really and truly, it's bigger than cognitive or intellect or in the mind. Faith is a trust system. It's a trust system. It's anchored in hope. It's driven by hope. It is the assurance of things hoped for, is what the Hebrew writer would say. The assurance of things hoped for, the certainty of things not seen. It's being sure that my greatest hope will come about. I don't have it yet. But, it, but faith is the thing that makes me hold on to what I don't have, knowing that I'm going to receive it. And so it's connected with hope. We understand the aspect of faith. We, we have faith in our everyday lives. Faith is not a religious term. It's not, I mean, we make it that. But we use faith in our everyday lives. We really do. And, and what I want you to think about today, and as we go through this aspect, because one of the things that we see faith in probably the absolute most is in our children, right? You know, we were swimming the other day, and, and, and my youngest four-year-old, he's wearing floaties, and he wanted to jump off of the diving board. You know, I, I, I don't even like to jump off the diving board. I don't swim real well, okay? I can just get by. I'd like to think that I wouldn't drown. I probably would if somebody wasn't there, but... So he won't jump off the dining board. He will not jump off the dining board because he does not know the outcome. He sees his brothers doing it. He thinks it's funny. He thinks it's great. But he won't jump. And so he says, Daddy, go out to the middle, to the deep part, and catch me. And so there I am, treading water. There's a 16-year-old girl's lifeguard that she's got a raft ready. You know, she's more worried about me than my 4-year-old. And he thinks that he truly believes and trusts that Daddy's going to catch him. And did you know that's the first time he jumped off a diamond board? I didn't catch him. I let him hit the water. I mean, <laughs> but, but I mean, now we jump off the diamond board. It's a great thing. But isn't that beautiful? We climb mountains every once in a while. I'm jumping from rock to rock. Hey, Daddy, catch me. And your kid, they sell out to you. They, they, they know what outcome they want. They want to get to that rock. They want to get in the water safely. They have an outcome. They have a hope, a confident expectation of something, an outcome. But they know that you can fulfill that. That's faith. That's faith. They believed you and trusted with all their being that when they jumped with surety and certainty that you would do what you promised that you would do. And whether you know it or not, we all believe or trust in something. We all have faith in something. You have faith in something. Some of us have put our faith in people. Maybe you have uh, a faith, you've put your faith in your spouse or in some other relationship. And, and that's where your faith rests, that, that the hope of your life, your deepest soul's hope, you believe it's going to be fulfilled through another individual. And so you've done that, and you've sold out to them. Maybe we've put our faith in physical things, maybe in money or in assets. And so we're holding on to those things. We're jumping to that. Maybe some of us have put our faith in ourselves or in our own strength. And those are the things that, that we put our faith in. I mean, you can, you can just build upon that list. But here's the reality, is that all of those things have disappointed us. Yes, your spouse, that relationship, money, even yourself. You failed yourself. All of those things have come woefully short of fulfilling the hope of your souls. And none of those things bring oneness. I mean, I, I couldn't think of a smarter way to say this, so I'll just say it like an Altus Oklahoma person would say it. 
Because when we run in different directions and put our trust in different things, it moves us apart instead of drawing us together. When we're running to different things with our trust, it drives us apart. And God wants us to be one and be unified and to jump into His arms. There is no thing, there's nothing, there's no thing that we can put our trust in that will fulfill our deepest hope. Whatever your deepest hope, I think you talked about hope last week. Whatever your deepest hope, confident expectation, what you long for deep within yourself, there's no thing, nothing that we can put our trust in that will fulfill deepest hope. There's nothing that we can set as the foundation of our lives that you can build the house of your life around. There is no thing that will fulfill the promises that God has given to us, to you. But there's someone. But there's someone. God actually became one of us to clarify things for us. God became one of us so that we would jump into His arms. And so by jumping into His arms, it would draw us to Him and would draw us into one another. And He invites us to put our trust in Him. And when we do, as individuals and as a community, it's beautiful. And so today, my goal is to share with you why you can jump and you will be caught. Why you can trust Jesus even when it doesn't make sense. Even when the world's going a different way. Even when maybe your brothers and sisters in Christ are putting their trust in something cheaper. Even when you can't see how things are going to turn out. And I want to tell you why you can have faith today. And how that faith can drive your life it can draw you closer to the image of Christ, His people, and His mission and purpose for your existence. And I want to share with you the catalyst of faith. This is simple. I'm a simple individual. You're going to learn that in the next 20 minutes. I'm simple. But I want to share with you the catalyst of our faith. What drives faith? What drives the trust system of God's people? And the importance of holding on to that more than anything else. So let's jump into it, okay? That was all introduction. That was a lot of fun, wasn't it? Here it is. Everything. Everything that we trust, that we can trust, the reason we, why we can trust. When Jesus of Nazareth was on earth, okay? When Jesus of Nazareth was on earth, he was a very controversial figure. We know this. We, we read the gospel accounts, but he's a very controversial figure. He polarized people and households. And the reason for the controversy around him was because of who he claimed to be. It's because of who... Who he claimed to be. And so, you see, Jesus, as he taught, he, he claimed certain things or he proclaimed certain things. And that either drove people to him or it drove people away from him. But here's some things that he claimed. Jesus never claimed to be a messenger or a prophet. Now, people claim that about him. But Jesus didn't claim, they didn't claim that. Actually, what Jesus proclaimed is, is, I am the Son of God. I am God. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. It's what he says in John chapter 14 and verse 9. Jesus, he didn't proclaim a way to walk to God. Sometimes we think that Jesus, he, he gave us a way to walk to God. What Jesus proclaimed is, is that he was the way. Actually, he, was, he is the only way to God. He said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that leads us into this next proclamation. He didn't proclaim that he knew truth. Jesus never proclaimed to, to just share truth 
what he proclaimed was, is he was truth. He was truth. He didn't proclaim to have a way to life. He proclaimed that he was life, and, and only in him is life. He didn't preach. Jesus never preached so that you would believe something. Jesus preached so that you'd believe in him. Jesus preached so you would believe him and that everything he taught was in him and through him. Jesus never claimed to have the answer. Jesus claimed to be the answer. And through that, people followed him. People jumped. They left the ground because of the hope that he was in their lives. They sold out. But then others, they pushed back. What Jesus taught was the deepest hopes of your souls. Everything that God has promised you, eternal life and connection to God, can only be fulfilled through faith in me. That's what Jesus taught. Your deepest hopes can only be fulfilled through faith in me. In John chapter 10 and verse 10, Jesus said, I came so that they may have life and have it in abundance. I came to show you what an abundant life looks like so that you could have it, and I came to give it to you. I came so that you could have life. That's truly life. In John chapter 8 and verse 51, people picked up stones with this one. In John 8, 51, that's what he said. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Jesus, what you're teaching, understand, he didn't explain this. They were in kind of bewilderment. They thought eternal life. Life that goes on forever. And that's really exactly what he meant. But the reaction that he got from the religious elite was, now we know that you're a demon. You're talking crazy. You're saying that if we jump into you, if we believe in you, that we'll never die. And we know that's false because our faith is in Abraham, our father, the father of faith, you know? And he died. And you know what Jesus said? Before Abraham was, I am. There's one standing in front of you right now that's greater than Abraham. And that's the one you need to jump to. And then in John chapter 6 and verse 51, he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. He will live forever. Jesus said, I'm the very thing that sustains you. I'm the very thing where life flows. Life only comes through me. And the people believed him. And the people followed him. But the Jewish elite sought to kill him. They conspired against him, trying to find a way to get rid of him. And this is what I don't want you to miss. Don't miss this. When they had Jesus arrested, all of his followers left. All of his closest friends, all of his closest followers ran away. When they took him to that kangaroo court in the middle of the night, you remember? And Peter's there in the courtyard. When they took him to court and they tried him, his closest companion denied him. When he carried his cross through the streets of Jerusalem, the people who laid their cloaks and waved palm branches six days or five days before spat and mocked him. When Jesus 
was hung on the cross. And I I want you to understand this. When Jesus hung on the cross, you want to know how many followers he had? Do you want to know how many people were jumping into his arms for eternal life? Zero. When Jesus hung on the cross, he had zero followers. There were, what, four women? His mother, a cousin, a woman that he made a huge difference. I mean, he changed her whole life around. And then someone else, can't remember who it was. And then a young boy who followed him and was his beloved disciple who just kind of weaved through the cracks and people know them. No one think that young of a person would be a follower. When Jesus died... The closest people to him believed that he was dead. When Jesus died, the closest people to him, they doubted. They doubted that he was the Messiah. They doubted that he was the Son of God. You remember Matthew 16 and 16? Who do men say that I am? And Peter, this is revealed by God to him. Peter wasn't smart enough to come up with this. And in Matthew 16, 16, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and, and that's revealed to him. It's given to him. And he, and he just... But then, in the courtyard, look at what he says in Matthew chapter 26. I did not follow this man. I don't even know him. I don't know him. When Jesus died, his disciples believed that their lives were in jeopardy. They denied him. They ran away. They locked themselves in a house waiting in fear. You know, many times we look at the aspect of when when a leader comes into the world, and then if he dies or if he goes away, his followers, what do they do? They take his teaching, don't they? They take the things they taught so the memory of him will live on. That ain't what happened with Jesus. When Jesus died, his disciples walked away. They believed that he was dead. And they believed that he would stay that way. You see, the problem was, the reason they didn't take Jesus' teachings to the world is because Jesus said so much about himself. Jesus built the whole thing around who he was that when he died, he couldn't possibly be who he claimed to be. Jesus' closest followers lost faith in the end. What do you believe? If you were to ask one of them, what, what do you believe? I don't know. I mean, I believed that He was the Son of God. I believed that He was the Messiah, the one that we were looking forward to that would make all things right, that would restore Israel and redeem her. But I, I don't know what I believe. Well, are you going to take his teachings and, and continue his legacy? No. The same people who killed him, they're out to kill us. And besides that, who's going to take us serious? Because he said in him is eternal life. He said in him, you'll never die. But he died. His disciples believe that this was the end. We hoped, we had dreamed, we believed... But when Jesus died, it was the end. They abandoned him. They fled like criminals. 
They went and they hid in their homes and mourned and wept in their lost hopes. The people that walked with him, saw him, and knew him the best did not believe what many of us believe today because when he died, they believed that he was dead and that he would stay that way. Go over to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, probably one of the saddest, when you really look at one of the saddest scriptures. Look at what Mark says in Mark chapter 16. Understand, Peter is telling Mark about this. And understand, the Bible, the Bible doesn't say that, that anything was different. Understand something. The gospel accounts bear this out so honestly. There was no, I knew it, he was coming back. I figured he would, turn, would return. I just knew it. I told you guys. No. Look what Mark says. Mark 16, verse 10. Mary Magdalene, seeing Jesus at the tomb, she goes and tells the disciples and apostles. And this is, this is what, how it went. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. When they hear that Jesus was alive, that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were, were walking in the country. These returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared to eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Mary, no. No. You, you, you saw something different. The one that all my faith was in, the one that I had been jumping to for three years, I saw him put in a tomb. Everything that we believed was put in that tomb with Jesus. But then something happened. Something happened. And this is the catalyst for our faith. And I want you to understand something. Is this didn't take faith. This wasn't the confidence of things hoped for and the assurance of things not seen. They saw something. They didn't believe something. They saw something. These men, these cowards who had run away and lost faith, they saw something that transformed their lives forever. They saw something that took them from hiding, from fear and doubt, to an unshakable faith. They show back up in Jerusalem. Fifty days later, at Pentecost... And Peter, this, this coward that denied Jesus, stands up boldly before the same people who killed Jesus. And, and, and what did he preach? You know, what, what do you preach? You know, your first sermon when your Messiah has been killed. You know, we, we, didn't, we didn't rehash the Sermon on the Mount. We didn't go back over the story of the prodigal son. What Peter stands up and he says in Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to paraphrase it. Go, go home and read Acts 2. There's power in it. Look at what Peter does. He says this, look at Jesus, this one sent by God. He says, you killed him. You killed him, but God has raised him from the dead, and we have seen a risen Savior. We have seen a risen Jesus. And he is both Lord and and Christ. And he tells the people in Acts 2 and 38, they're, they're pricked, and he tells them to repent, change. 
It's the risen Savior that changes people. It's the fact that Jesus rose from the dead that transforms our lives. And this was the message that the followers of Jesus brought to the world with boldness. A single event that trans- totally transformed their lives. They saw their risen Savior and they wanted the, wor- the world to know. Thomas argued with other disciples. No, I- I'm not going to believe this until I stick my, 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 my fingers in his holes in his hands and my hand in his side. And then eight days later, Thomas is saying, My Lord and my God. Matthew, he wrote about what he saw. Mark, who spent time with Peter, wrote about the accounts of this risen Savior that that Peter didn't just believe in. He saw him. Mark, who or I'm sorry, Luke, who researched, interviewed eyewitnesses, wrote about it. John, Jesus' closest friend, in John chapter 1 and verse 1, this is what he writes. He says, That which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. You see, we're not walking blindly. We're not jumping blindly into something. We've seen Him with our eyes. Our hands have touched Him. This we proclaim to you. John ends his letter in John chapter 20, verse 31. As this, are all this, all this is written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. He's exactly who He said He was, the Son of God. And that by believing you may have life in His name. James. The brother of Jesus. The, the, the brother of Jesus that never followed Jesus during his ministry. I mean, if, if your older brother proclaims that he is God, that he is the Messiah, that he's the one that's going to give you eternal life, James never followed him. What would convince your brother to follow you and to jump into your arms? James saw something. A risen Savior And he wrote in James chapter 1, he wrote, James, a servant of the Lord, Jesus Christ, my Lord. And then, probably one of the up-and-coming biggest figures in Jewish history or Judaism at that time, I mean, I mean, we're killing people because of our faith, because we believe that what this way is doing is destroying everything that we believe. And all of a sudden, from, what is it, 20-something miles or 50, I don't remember how much, Jerusalem to Damascus, all of a sudden we make a total transition in our lives. And he would say, why? It's because Saul saw a risen Savior a risen Jesus, and it transformed everything about him. And these men took the message of a risen Savior and they preached it to the world. They were humiliated, they were persecuted, they were mocked, they left family, they sacrificed their livelihoods, and they gave up their lives. And and if you look at it, to no personal gain. They said, Jesus is Lord and Christ, and they got stepped on for it. 
Men who denied him died proclaiming their faith in him, died trusting that, who, that he was who he said he was and he would do what he said he would do, and it transformed the lives of people who believed their message. A risen Savior turned the faith of people, brought one faith to people. In Acts chapter 2 and chapter 4, you see that biggest transition or transformation in the lives of people. They started selling their possessions and, sell, and sharing with one another. They began uh, fellowshipping with people of different social status, cultures, and nationalities. They surrendered their rights and their freedoms for other people. They loved and forgave each other. They sacrificed their lives for one another. They sacrificed their lives for a king that they proclaimed was alive. And they became a movement, a kingdom of people who were jumping into the arms of Christ and jumping into one another because they knew he could be trusted because he overcame death. They quit living for a physical world and, be and began living for a spiritual kingdom. They had a king sitting on his throne that promised not just life, but an abundant life, eternal life, connected to God forever. You see... Because we have a risen Savior, because Jesus has risen from the dead, I can seek the kingdom of God and know that He will provide all my physical needs. That I can seek first the kingdom of God and He'll provide everything else. Because Jesus has risen from the dead, I don't have to fear what man can do to me because I trust and serve one who controls my spiritual destiny. Because Jesus has risen from the dead, I don't have to elevate myself above people. I can actually lower myself beneath everyone and trust that He'll lift me up. I don't have to retaliate against people who hurt me because I have a Lord that's going to judge wickedness. And that frees me up to love and forgive anyone who hurts me. You see, because Jesus has risen from the dead, I don't have to rely on my own righteousness to come to God. I don't have to slop on the religious overtones and pretend I can surrender and confess my sins and know that I am forgiven. This is the difference in a, in a, in a physical mindset and a spiritual kingdom. One event. One event that was to drive faith. Paul said it this way in his second letter to Corinth. 2 Corinthians Chapter 5 and verse 14, I'll leave it with you. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. That's what Paul's saying. As he says, because Christ died and rose again, we don't continue to put our trust in ourselves or in our physical strength, but instead we die and we live for the one who gives us life. We die and we live for the one who gives us life. Can you imagine? Can you imagine a group of people that move together in all regards? One body led by one spirit, driven by one hope, having one faith, buried into one baptism, surrendering to one Lord, glorifying one God. 
Can you imagine? Can you see it? Can you see it? Are you pursuing that? God sent Jesus into the world to show you that He can be trusted. He showed that to you by raising Him from the dead. He showed you that so you wouldn't put your trust in the things of this world or in anything cheaper. That's going to destroy your hope and your life and it's going to disconnect you from what God is doing through His body. We have one faith and it's, and it's grounded and it's stuck in one person. And it's accomplished in one event. He overcame death. Where's your faith today? I, th I think we can answer that honestly. In whom or in what are you putting your trust? Do you trust God? He's trustworthy. Do you trust God to take away your sins? You know, Jesus said He'd do that. He said, hey, come to me. I'll take them away. I'll wash those away. Maybe, maybe we haven't done that today. But here's the reality is, is even as Christians... We sometimes settle for something cheaper to put our faith in. And God says, no, I want you to jump into me. And he sent his son to the cross because he loves you. And he raised him up so that you would trust him. Why don't we do that as we stand, as we sing?